I'm Harry Nichols. This is Kid Stuff. an independent artist living and working in upstate New York. And on this podcast, I'm sitting down with creative people from all walks of life to talk about their own adolescence and how they came to be the people that they are today. This time around, I got to speak with Megan McDuffie. Megan does a lot of really cool music-related things. Professionally, she scores video games and movie trailers, and that right there is enough to pique my interest. But on top of that, she's also put out a bunch of great solo music, like the sweet electropop LP, Inner Demons. Most recently, she scored the indie video game River City Girls 2 out on all the great platforms. I was very, very excited to get a chance to speak with her. I have not had a lot of chance to uh, talk to people who do music in conjunction with another art form like, like film or video games. Before we get too into the weeds with Megan, I want to thank everybody for uh, coming out and supporting me on my album release last year. My new record, Songs for the Rich and Beautiful, is out on all platforms. If you get a chance, I still love to hear feedback on it. And it's just been a really positive thing, and I've really enjoyed having that out for people. Also, 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 before we get into things here, I want to give a quick shout out to a new project of mine called Megaverse. Megaverse is a cartoon robot band, uh, and we are traversing the universe and bringing our music to distant worlds. If that sounds like your jam, if you're a huge nerd like me, you should hop on your socials and follow Megaverse Music on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, all the good ones. Finally, I want to mention that on this episode, I was using some new gear that I had not really tested out properly before, and unfortunately, I had some audio issues that I think I've more or less uh, ironed out, but every now and then, you're going to hear a couple of little blips and, and little things that I don't think distract too much, but I just wanted to get out ahead of it and say, sorry about that. Sorry about that, Megan, as well. Um, but I think that the interview is still totally there, and it's still enjoyable, so I'm hoping that we can all see past that. All right, that's enough out of me, and here's Megan. All right, Megan, thank you for joining me. This is uh, it's really exciting for me to get to meet you because I've been listening to your music for a little bit. Um, you are a composer. You are a an audio producer. You uh, you do like trailer work too, which is really cool. Uh, and you know, so I'm wondering. That's who you. That's a little bit about who you are now. Can you try to describe who you think you were, like, right around the ages, like, anywhere from 13 to 18, if you have any kind of sense there? Mm. Do you want, like, generally speaking or in a musical sense? Mm. Whatever you feel like giving me. Uh, pretty much the same person I am now, with an affinity okay. for all things music and uh, slightly leaning towards the macabre, <laughs> um, but way less confident as I way think most of us were when we were teenagers. Totally. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, <laughs> how can you have con like, not the, how can you have confidence at that age? Because so I, you know, I teach eighth graders and it, it, it feels like a lot of them might have some confidence, but I'm sure that's masking a lot of insecurity and stuff. <laughs> um, you said you had a leaning toward the macabre. Can you tell me about that? What do you mean? Uh, so, well, at that point, I mean, I always liked sort of darker, edgier music and, um, movies and books and things. 
At that point in time as a teenager, I honestly, well, let's put it this way. I could count the amount of horror movies I'd seen on like one hand, (laughs) (laughs) but I was always super curious. And then by the time I was like 18-ish, I started really dipping my toes into horror movies. And at first I was petrified and like things would stick with me for a really long time. But the more I watched, the more I just absolutely loved it and the less they stuck with me. So I'd say like (laughs) it took me a long time to become a true horror fan, but now I can't get enough. Yeah, totally. So I'm also kind of a horror nut, um, which is maybe like speaks a little bit to like why I was like drawn to your music a little bit. Maybe like some of that kind of works its way into the aesthetic overall, which we can get to later. I'm getting a sense like there's like definitely some like dark wave going on some it's at least it strikes me in that way i don't know if you would describe it that way depends on what uh what we're referring to because i do a fair amount of different styles absolutely um yeah so i mean i wonder do you have like a was there a first horror movie that was like your jumping in point that just completely traumatized you and (laughs) oh that's a good question um I have distinct memories of going over to my friend's house. She lived eight houses away from me, so we were super close and we were, you know, back and forth at each other's houses all the time. But she, when The Ring came out, she described the movie to me from beginning to end. And I was like, okay, I think I want to see that. (laughs) And we watched it uh, in the daylight, you know, totally like the least scary atmosphere. (laughs) possible but it still stuck with me um also previously to that the only other horror movie say that in air quotes because it's like kind of a horror movie was the sixth sense and i was in middle school when that came out and i went to see it in the theater with friends and for somebody who had never seen anything quite like that that was a very altering experience as well yeah that well, look, that was a scary ass movie. Like this, I I think the Sixth Sense was a scary ass movie. I'm also just kind of chuckling over here because like The Ring was also my break in horror movie. It was like the one that I really? like, sought out. I was like, I want to watch horror movies, and like I went to the mm. video store and took out The Ring, and uh, I think that was a good one because you know it it is scary, but it does it's not so completely. Um, brutalizing as like some of the ones that I've grown to really like now, you know, mm-hmm. so it kind of like gives you a taste and like leaves you wanting more, you know? Yeah. I tend to like those more cerebral ghost kind of focused movies as opposed to like all out gore. Totally. I mean, it has its place, but those I don't find scary. I find the supernatural stuff way more scary. Yeah, for sure. Um, so you, so you were into horror. You were, you did that affect like how you like, you know, how, how you dressed, how you presented yourself, were you goth, were you, you know, tell me about it. It's funny because in high school, I, I like wanted to be goth. <laughs> I like didn't quite know how to wedge myself in there. I would, I guess I would call myself a bit of an emo alt kid. Um, I still am. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I, I like, It's funny because on the one hand, I was like super into musical theater and choir, which you don't necessarily associate with the alternative kids. Like it kind of doesn't quite fit. So I had these two sides to me. Um, And then, yeah, I went like full goth in college when I was around 18 or 19. 
Sweet. Yeah. That freedom of like college and like being able to express yourself exactly how you want to is really sweet though too. I mean, I remember I, I, I had some like interesting phases there too. I did like, uh, there was a phase back there where I walked around in pants that had been like written all over basically. I and- had some written over pants as well. <laughs> nice. Perfect. So you know exactly where I was coming from with that because I don't think anybody right. else did. <laughs> Right now, I have um, a couple of 13-year-old students who really want to make recordings and make music, and I'm trying mm-hmm. to guide them along with that. And um, the the wall that I'm running into is just that they're so young that they haven't built up a lot of the skills that you need for that. Some of the just like straight up, you know, musicianship skills, some of the, um, you know, let alone the, the recording skills or things of that nature. So, so where do you feel like you started to develop that stuff? Uh, I feel like, like you say, I, I had a very strong innate sort of songwriting sensibility, um, from a very, very early age. Um, so, you know, since I was pretty limited as a youngster, it took the form of, you know, singer songwriter type stuff on a piano. Uh, or slightly later on the guitar because that was the tool that I had. And so I, it wasn't until I want to say I was probably about 16 when I started dabbling in a really funky little program called Anvil Studio. And it was Mm. all general MIDI. (laughs) And uh, I thought that was the greatest thing since sliced bread because I I could do music on a computer and, you know, multiple parts and just, yeah. So that was super exciting. And honestly, it just kind of grew with me as I progressed in complexity and, you know, two degrees in a career, my production skills have had to come, you know get better and better with that. Like absolutely, <laughs> you, have to, you have to be able to be a one-stop shop essentially to make it all work. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think it was just sort of an organic transition over time. Yeah. Do you remember the first like song you wrote or is it just like kind of somewhere in the backlogs of memory and time? Uh, and what kinds of, you know, what kinds of things do you feel like you were called to write about in your earliest writings on the piano the typical teenagery drama romance kind of <laughs> rootings okay. um yeah just uh i remember one song in particular about a sort of like bad boy that i had a crush on or at least the the person singing would that was the perspective and a different one was like you know being noticed trying to be noticed Got had you. two songs, you know, typical teenagery things. Yeah, very like uh, a lot of unrequited uh, romance there, maybe like so, it, at least in those two examples. A little bit, yeah, me. yeah, yeah. I was at the time I was really into listening to Jewel, and uh, I feel like <laughs> cool. that moment in time was very sort of singer songwriter angsty kind of kind of stuff. Like, when did you begin to try to record yourself? Did that happen right away? Or did you just kind of have, like, a, a book of truth that you carried around for a while and then eventually got to the recording of yourself? So at the same 
point in time as I was starting to write those really cheesy keyboard jewel inspired songs as a maybe 14 year old. Um, I had a little just portable cassette recorder and I would literally just hit record, play some chords, sing along. That was, that was how that started. <laughs> nice. And when you like, did you start to multi-track yourself at any point or was that not until you got to college and learned all the engineering skills and stuff? Yeah, that was way, 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 way later. In fact, when I started to do things with any sort of multiple layers, it was, I basically had a giant chunk of time from like 16 to 20 where I was only doing instrumentals. So recording myself, my vocals, and then multi-tracking other instrumental parts didn't come until way later. Cool. That's really interesting. Do you feel like that period where you were only doing instrumentals like has had any kind of impact on your craft as it currently is yeah absolutely um i really dove into and like really honed my film scoring focus that was when i was doing that in college um and yeah i mean it it definitely set a foundation gave me the knowledge that i needed or that I felt like I needed to be confident in what I do now. You make video game music too, which I think is uh, a I really do. exciting thing. <laughs> That's mostly what I do. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, you've done the soundtrack for River City Girls and River City Girls 2, right? It's coming, Uh, which is exciting. December 15th on, uh, that was what, last Friday? Friday, yeah. The game's fully out now. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay, I gotta go play. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, this interview's over. Uh, I'm gonna go and, yeah. (laughs) And... No, cool, man. So, I mean, did you play video games as a kid? I think in high school is when I really dove in. My friend and I would play a lot. Um, and sort of at the same juncture, my dad bought a Nintendo 64 when I was mm. maybe like eighth grade. So right before. And uh, that was sort of my my introduction into gaming. And the 64 remains one of my favorite consoles ever. Uh, as it should. I mean, it's a great console. When this was a thing, we used to go to the video store and rent Nintendo 64 cartridges. <laughs> yep. Um, some favorites, definitely. Even now, they're some of my favorite games ever. Um, Mario 64, of course. Yeah. Ocarina of Time, Banjo-Kazooie. Those are kind of my top three in 64 games. Yeah, those are solid choices. I was thinking recently about the 90s and uh, all that specifically about Zelda in the 90s. I have a kid who is very much into old school gaming and is doing like sort of a report on RPGs and stuff like that. And so he's been playing through a lot of that like OG shit and and has been like really diving into it. He looks up at me at one point and he goes, dude, Mr. Nichols, the 90s for Zelda was incredible. <laughs> I was like, yeah, man. Like if you think about it, yep. you had... 
A Link to the Past, you had Ocarina of Time. Just those two games alone, I think, is worth. Yeah. Yeah, for praise. For sure. When did Majora's Mask come out? Was that early 2000s? I think that was 2000. And secretly, that one's actually my favorite one. That one's pretty, pretty rad. It's so weird, and I love it for that. Right? I know, exactly. It's all about that freaking creepy moon. Like, I don't know, like... (laughs) Yeah, it's really wacky. <laughs> well, there's just such a such a sense of like foreboding throughout the whole game, which you know a- appeals yeah. to horror people, I guess, which is why we True. both like it. True. Tell me a little bit about your social life. I'd say there's a pretty big difference actually between middle school and high school for me. Okay. Um, Middle school, I went to a a charter school. It was a very small, kind of contained school, I guess. Um, My class was only about 21 students, and I pretty much had the same classmates from grade 5 through grade 8. So we all knew each other really well. So from that, from for those formative years, I had a pretty good core group of friends. Uh, and then in high school, it was a little bit different. I, I had more casual friends. Like I was comfortable eating lunch with kind of certain groups of people, but about half the time I would go eat by myself in my car and listen to music. So I feel like there was a little bit more of the lonery thing going on in high school. Mm. Just, I think, simply because I was so used to a small, tight-knit group and then going to a much bigger public high school was like, oh, okay, this is very different. Yeah, 20-something kids is really small. That's like... Yeah. I, I feel like I went to a small high school, and but our graduating class was like 100. But like 25, that's like you really... I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. If I would think that at that point, you kind of have to make friends out of who you have, right? Like it's... It's yeah, not like necessity. a <laughs> Yeah. It's not like so much about personalities that naturally work together. I, I did have a, a couple of friends that I think I would have we would have gravitated to one another. No, nice, uh, that's in good. different circumstances. Yeah. Totally. I mean it's middle school, so it's hard to say, but like, you know, <laughs> it's also such a small pool of people like when when kids like start dating. You know, when I was in middle school most of us were still really frightened of, of each other in that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but there were a couple of kids who started dating at that point. And now going forward, uh, now I see in middle schools, kids are not as frightened of each other in that way, I don't think, uh, which mm. is interesting. And maybe kind of a pandemic development. But was that also a factor in there as well? Did people like all I mean, date with the same people like... Kind of. I I would say that most of the girls had crushes on like, you know, two of the guys and then vice versa. (laughs) Like the same people were coveted by everyone. Gotcha. Uh, And yeah, I don't know. There wasn't a ton of dating going on. But yeah, it was such a small pool that it it was a bit, I don't know. (laughs) I was like, well, that's what's available. Sure. Well, and and also, you know, thinking about the propensity for things in those small settings, like a- any any event, any piece of drama is going to feel completely overinflated because the population is so small. Yes, very much yeah. so. Wild. And things are already dramatic when you're in that that state. 
Yeah. So, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> um, can you remember any moments where you felt like you were kind of wrapped up in some of that or caught up in some of that or? Even in such a small group, there still were kind of clicks. And I remember being with my friends who were not part of the popular clique. Mm. And we would all just sort of talk behind their backs. And even though we were friends with the popular girls, it was like three people, right? Um, we would yeah. still talk shit about them because it was like, oh, all the boys like just those three. And oh, they're good at sports. And oh, they're good at this. And like, so, yeah, it, it was, you know, typical middle school. Totally. Uh, I was about to say, I, I feel like that seems to strike me as like a very natural thing for people people yeah. to do in general, right? Like it's just I don't know, it's one totally. of the uglier things about people and middle schoolers are are people, right? Just like all the rest of us. that you felt were kind of your comfort food in your adolescence? Like, what, what did you gravitate towards in times of need? I would say from in middle school, it was hanging out with my friend Maria. She was my anchor. You know, we just, we were so comfy with one another. So mm. if I was at her house or if she, if she was at my house, it was, it was the best. We would just do nothing and be totally content with that, you know, just nice. talk and, and draw and read and whatever. And she's kind of the one that, I don't know if she got me interested in playing guitar, but we both sort of discovered guitar around the same time. Hmm. So that was a really fun thing that we could do together and kind of learn, just self-taught. Um, and then in high school, one of my comforts, I think, was listening to film scores. And that, I mean, that probably played into what I decided to do in college. I'm sure yeah, it did. <laughs> totally. Um, I was, yeah, I was super into movies, uh, audio and music. I would take that same janky little tape recorder and stick it up to the TV speaker and record the audio of my favorite movies from start to finish. And then I would listen to those in my car. <laughs> so like all the dialogue, all the sound effects, all the music. I um, I love that so much. Super comforting. <laughs> I love that so much. It, it's I, because you know, like it. It a little bit. I, I feel like a little bit. Kids, kids. Yeah, I'm gonna sound like an old man. Kids these days, <laughs> they don't know how good they how good they have it. No, but really though, like the things that we had to do to resort to to like experience the things that we liked, right, were so much more difficult back then, right? These days, if you like a Definitely. if you like a film score. Yep, tap it on your phone and it's there, right? Yep. Um, yep. But I, oh man, I love that. So, what were some of the what were some of the films that you uh, bootlegged <laughs> off of your TV? <laughs> uh, let's see. I loved Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the original seventies version, not the not the Tim Burton version. Um, yep. There's a, a weird little anime called Little Nemo Adventures in Slumberland. That's oh, yeah. An incredible film. I love that so much. Love that. Uh, Labyrinth, one of my favorite films still. 
Totally. With a fantastic soundtrack, both the film score by Trevor Jones and the the vocal numbers by with David Bowie are just amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, those were some top ones. I also liked Hook and Rocky Horror Picture Show, Clockwork Orange. Yeah, I had a whole I had a whole box full of cassette tapes. So cool though. <laughs> And I feel like thinking about those movies, though, I just get a real sense. I, I feel like I get a sense of the sort of, like, artistic niche that you were into. You know what I mean? There's It's a lot mm-hmm. of, like, sort of uh, just, like, dark and quirky and uh, yeah. just, like, cool, just good shit. <laughs> really good shit. <laughs> Every movie you just listed, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I always kind of gravitate towards trippy things so i feel yes. like all of those are a little trippy in their own way at what age did you first see donnie darko that's my question oh i was probably about 15 okay. i was in high school yeah i think i was a sophomore that sounds right yeah see i, kn- I knew that one would because like that's that is the kind of movie it's exactly in that <laughs> like pocket. it does fit in that yeah does fit yeah. in that that genre space <laughs> absolutely if you were, like, as an adult now, like, if you were to magically go back in time, find yourself as a teenager, and offer them a piece of advice, and you don't have to worry about, like, time paradox, you don't have to be, like, you know, sure. worried about turning, <laughs> taking apart the time-space continuum, like, what do you feel like you would say to that person? Uh, what would I say to myself? I would say learn production and mixing at the same time as composition, <laughs> like mm. get really good at the engineering portion because that's going to take a while. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's, I feel like, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm super excited and grateful to uh, where I am now. And I don't think I would change any of it, but I think having a more solid grasp on essentials like mixing and production a little bit earlier Mm. might have given me a leg up but it's hard to say i might not have gotten the opportunities that i've had currently or that i had gotten in this timeline so who knows sure totally you just seem like such a such a driven individual and just like so into the thing that you do you know what i mean um this is the sense I get from this conversation and from, you know, taking in some of your music and, and some of the other stuff you put out like on social, which I think is just a really beautiful thing and a really, a really cool thing to have. And just, you know, the fact that your advice to yourself would be to like, do more of the thing, right? <laughs> yeah. Speaks to like a really amazing, amazing uh, quality that you have, which is great. Megan, I want to thank you again for joining me on this. This has been uh, a ton of fun. I love your music. Um, you know, and, uh, and, and thanks for, thanks for giving it a shot. Yeah, totally. Thank you so much for inviting me. Okay. Well, I'm going to go play River City Girls too. And, uh, I'll catch you later. (laughs) Amazing.